You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our family pastor, Kristen Stevenson, with this week's message. I'm speaking today on child dedication. I don't have a message to speak because I said it to child dedication. I'm speaking on child dedication because the message that I felt like was in my heart today, the things I wanted to speak, I felt like were very much not just to moms and dads, but to people who maybe during all this crazy time of our life are questioning some of the things of how do I do this. And so I want to come today and I want to share something hopefully encouraging and empowering to us um, as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles today. And it goes along with someone's story. And I think it's odd that I picked this person because the only thing we know about their mom and dad is that they died when they were young. But I want to talk about Esther today. I want to talk about some things we know about Esther because I think that studying who Esther is tells us a lot about how we can raise kids that are impactful in today's world. And so one thing I want to talk about with Esther, before we get started, I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I want to go ahead and set this up a little bit, and that is that Esther lived in a time, she was raised in a time where people followed their own desires. Actually, I want to go ahead and go to the very first scripture there. Um, and it says, this is, this is how the book of Esther opens, okay? This is the, you know, we're about to lay out the complete plot set up. This is the setting of which it opens. It says, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the city of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, y'all, 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. That's the setup, and it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that after this 180 days of this king showing how awesome and wonderful and amazing he was and all that he had, that he then held a seven-day banquet, which he showed everybody, said from the least to the greatest. And then it goes on to talk about all the amazing things that he had. And then he gets so excited about all this wonderful time of everybody thinking he's great and wonderful that he says, hey, bring in the queen and let them look and see how beautiful my queen is. And if you know the story of Esther, she said no. He got angry because, you know, that offended him. And he went to, he did a really smart thing, guys. He got mad with his wife, so he went to a bunch of other guys and decided to talk about it. He went to his wise counsel and he said, hey, what should we do? They said, well, let's just get rid of her. We'll replace her. Um, because we don't like what she did, and so he does. He basically exiles her. He says she's banished. She cannot be in my presence anymore. We're going to replace her, and that's how the story of Esther starts. The whole book of Esther is filled with things. If you read this story, you see it's filled with leaders and people who are all about, hey, look at me, pride. Oh, this is what I think, jealousy. Most of this story is just this wild, crazy time where you never knew what was going to happen. You didn't know if you were going to wake up tomorrow and people were going to tell you that you couldn't get out and go anywhere or you couldn't do anything or you're going to wake up the next day. What new decree was going to be made? What was going to happen? And I think it had to be a time of chaos. And I think, man, it sounds a lot like maybe what we've been. I know sometimes we're tired of talking about COVID, but I think, you know, all that has happened last year and a half, it wasn't just COVID. It was isolation. It was offense. People began, I think, to feel so pushed down by what we were being told we could and couldn't do, that now all of a sudden we want to do what makes us happy, maybe like this king, maybe like the people at this time. We've become, even as Christians, I think we've become 
so caught up in the way we see things. And we see all these people around us and we, there's, there's fear. There's, we don't know what's going to happen next, what's going to go on. That was the setting of Esther. But the story of Esther, I think, is in the Bible for an awesome reason. See, actually, Esther, the book doesn't ever actually mention God. Isn't that weird? But, you know, the thing is, is that if you read the story of Esther, you don't ever question it. Because even though it's all this story of humanity and fleshly desires and people that were truly just living for whatever made them happy today, regardless of how it affected somebody else, when you read the story, you can see, wait, there was God. Oh, wait, hold on. Here's where God was. When you see the big picture, that's what you see is that God had a plan all along. And he obviously had a plan for Esther's life because she gets a whole book in the Bible after her, okay? So he had an awesome plan. And I want to raise kids in a time like this that they're, when they grow up, that they can be someone like Esther. That they're deserving of something like that. Not because of who they are, but because who they allow God to be. And so today I want to talk about a couple more things about Esther. And I want to talk about why I think she was who she was. And I want to encourage us today. So if you will, let's pray together really quick, and then I want to jump back in. God, I thank you for this opportunity to come here. Lord, I don't take this lightly because, God, I know that you have something to be spoken, God, that there's someone here today that needs to hear this. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, God, that you would give me words to say that, Lord, would speak to someone here and that would not be me but be you, God. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged today, help us to be excited, God, to go forth into this time, God, into this present day life and to truly be who you've created us to be, to raise children who are what you've created them to be. And we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to tell you the second thing I know about Esther, well, that I gathered, I think we can gather, and that is that Esther did not choose her position but chose to follow in the midst of it. Uh, In Esther 2, go ahead and says, Esther 2 and 8, it says, After the king's order and law were announced, many young women were brought to the fort of Susa. Haggai was put in charge of them. Esther was also taken to the king's palace. She was put under the control of Haggai. He was in charge of the place where the virgin stayed. Now, what I get from this is now this queen's been exiled, right? She's been sent away. we got to replace her. So we just go out and we get all these young virgins, all these eligible women, and they bring them together and they tell them all things they have to do. I don't see in here where it says that she ran out and raised her hand and said, hey, I'd like to be queen, or she filled out an application, she ran for president. She didn't anything like that. She didn't go and sign up for the bachelor to see if she could win the queen's heart, the king's heart. Though I, I read this story, and it seems like probably it was a lot like trying to be on the bachelor. It's probably how her life was. You know, but she didn't choose that. But in the midst of that, if you read the story of Esther, you see that she chose to be who God had called her to be, as a Jew, as just someone who wanted to follow him, right in the middle of that. The, my favorite part about Esther in this is that she seemed to have such peace with it, because, you know, I think that during all this time that we've had, it's easy for us to begin to get caught up in our views of things, and we want to share all these things and do all, tell other people, you know, what they should do. But I think, you know, Esther, she just was. She was who she was supposed to be right in the moment, right in the midst of it. And she waited till it was her time. And that's the last thing I want to say about what Esther was, is she followed wherever God led. See, Esther's story, she becomes the queen. She ends up being called together, called with all these women. And she's given so much favor, and everyone likes her so much that the king decides to make her queen. Now, I don't know, she might have had, I know she had lots of servants, and she was given just whatever she wants, and that sounds like an amazing life. But I think, you know what? It also had a lot of fear because you have to remember, wait a minute, I'm following the woman that just said no one time, and she's gone, you know? 
So I'm thinking she had to live with a lot of fear in that. But the thing is, is that Esther didn't ever question that. Even to the very end, when it was time for her to step up, Esther did this. It says in Esther chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Then Esther sent his reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. See, I want to raise a kid. I want to be, Esther, the fact that in the middle of all of this, when tough times come, my first thought is, hey, let's fast. Let's go to God. But I want to raise kids that know how to do that too. And my favorite part here, though, even steps beyond that, that I don't, she asked people to pray for her and fast for her, but I don't see on here where she said, hey, this is what, why don't you do this? Hey, this is what I think. Hey, I'm the queen now. This is what, she, this is what I'm telling you to do. Esther was who she was. I'm back in the middle of all the craziness. If I remember all the political crazy thing, I remember hearing people talk about how well Esther was political. And I stopped and I thought, you know, Esther's not political. She had every ability to be a political person, to try to get her own thoughts and what she thought was best. She had every, and for the Jews, to try to change everything to be exactly maybe what she thought, even if that was the right way. But she didn't. Esther wasn't about telling others what they should do. She was about being who God had called her to be. And her stepping into that place is what changed. Because Esther's story, as things happen, as things progress, someone else in the middle of all the story, I know y'all are surprised with all the pride, Haman, who was a very prideful man, got raised up to power, and he, was, out of jealousy, he decided just to annihilate all the Jews. On a certain day, they were going to be annihilated, their stuff plundered, everything. And Esther was the person who stepped in. And she took a chance, went before the king, even though that was not allowed, and she ended up with this plan. She ended up not just saving the Jews from being annihilated, but their enemies were annihilated, and the Jews were celebrated and raised to power. And actually, it says that people were fearful of them because of the favor that they received. And now, when we read about it, we get this whole book that's called Esther. So it just makes me think, you know, God must see her as a big part of this. And so I began to question, well, then how? Because if you're like me, Mom, Dad, when I wanted to speak this day, it's because... I've heard so many parents, I think, that say that. So many moms that say, you know, I'm, I've got these beautiful baby children that you love, that are sweet, we want to protect them from all the things in the world. And then we think, so how do I raise them? Because I don't know the future they're going to be in, right? I don't know the things that they're going to face. So my question all the time is, okay, God, then how do I raise them? How do I impact their life? And so I want to talk about who impacted Esther's life. And if you look at the story, it's obvious that Esther didn't live in a time period that it made sense that she was a committed person to God and led by those things. Somebody had to have stepped in and been that light to her, and that was Mordecai. Mordecai was Esther's cousin, and I want to read right here about Mordecai because he did choose. See, Esther didn't choose. Your kids today, they didn't choose they would be born today. They didn't choose the life, the things they would be born into but you, mom, dad, and like I said, it's not just about mom and dad, because he chose. I want to read really quick. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah who had brought, who he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Here's the thing about Mordecai is Mordecai didn't have to be mom and dad, but he chose. And I'm going to say this is whether you are mom or dad or not, to impact someone's life, you have to choose. And today, 
grandparents, aunts, uncles, others, I want to encourage you. My favorite quote from um, Andy Stanley, and I like this quote even if it wasn't from Andy Stanley, but is, your greatest accomplishment may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Mordecai wouldn't be in the Bible. I don't think he'd be part of this story. But he chose to raise someone that became the greatest accomplishment he ever did. Mom, dad, that kid that's there today in your arms may be your greatest accomplishment. But I want to go farther than that and say, it's not just mom and dad I'm talking to today. It's not even just grandparents, aunts, uncles. I am talking to you that your greatest accomplishment may be that. But I believe that everyone sitting here today has someone that it's time for you to be Mordecai. That there's somebody in your life that they may be the greatest thing that you do is your impact in their life. We live in a time that I think is just as troubled as Esther's time. But there's somebody that you can impact and you have no clue what they will grow up and do. But it's time for you to step into that life. Mordecai saw where someone else had left off and he picked it up. And I believe that everyone here today has somebody like that. That it's time for you to pick up those pieces and help them. But you got to be like Mordecai, because the second thing I know about Mordecai is that Mordecai did this daily. Mordecai followed daily. Actually, it says in the Bible, and I uh, just put that up there, but I was going to talk about it real quick, is that Mordecai says after they brought all of them together, all the young women together, eligible women, and Mordecai, he couldn't go and talk to Esther, but it says daily. It says that he would go daily to the gates, and he would walk back and forth just to hear what was going on, just in hopes to find out that Esther was okay. You know, I don't know that it's so much about the fact that it was daily, but it makes me realize that he wakes up every morning, obviously, thinking about that person, thinking about the ministry that he's called to, thinking about the people, the person he needs to impact. It's a constant. It's not when it's convenient. It's not when it's easy. It was all the time. Uh, earlier this year in May, my family got to go to Universal, and we... Um, we were really excited because on June 10th, they were kicking off this new Velocicoaster. It was supposed to be awesome and exciting, and, and it really was. Um, and we were there two weeks early, and we got to do some of the soft openings, so we were thrilled. My husband was super excited, like to the point that he kept watching YouTube videos, and I was like, we're not going to have any surprises when we get there because we're going to have read, ridden it so many times virtually. But we got there, and one of the first few nights, we saw that the line was kind of low, the park was about to close. We were like, hey, let's run over there, let's jump on the ride really quick, you know, they'll be hurrying people through, and it worked out wonderfully. We went in, we got in line, we were some of the last people, they were rushing everyone through. We did child swap, because I have small children and children that are just scared, and we did child swap, and my in-laws went first, and so me and my husband Bradley, we got to go second, and when we got up there, it was just us and two other people. They put the other two people in the back, and they put us on the very front of this new ride. That's what you know, I've been on rides that go upside down and twist and turn and go over water, and I've been on rides that just had a lap bar across you. I've never been on one that was both until this night. And in the dark, late at night, we flew everywhere. I didn't know what was coming. It was so exhilarating. When we got off, me and my husband were just like little kids going, oh, and it did this and it did that. And then all of a sudden I said, and the whole time I'm thinking, what a terrible mom because I'm on this ride and my kids are gonna be without me and what in the world is going on? And my husband said, for real? Like you couldn't just like enjoy a ride? And I thought, no, because that's so many times how it is. In the back of my head, no matter how much fun I was having, and I did because I wrote it two more times, so I must be a bad mom. <laughs> but the whole time I was thinking, this is a horrible decision that I'm making. And then I began to think, but 
I'm trusting these people. I began to think, oh, they've tested it so many times, and, and these people are so smart, and they know exactly what they need to do. And all of a sudden, I began to just relax and say, and put my trust in the people that created this. I put my trust in what's going on. Actually, Corey Ten Boone says that never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. If I can put my trust in the late one night in Universal Studios in a creator of a roller coaster to protect me, to keep me safe, to keep my children's mother safe, then I can put my trust in a God who is the creator of this universe, who knows exactly what twists and turns are coming and knows exactly what's going to happen. I can put my trust. In fact, I don't know the future. Mom, Dad, today, I wanted to speak this because I think so many times I think about the future my kids will grow up in. But then I think that God created all of this and he knows. And I can trust every turn and every twist to a God who not only knows the future, but he created everything about it. And he has a plan for that. And the last thing I want to talk about Mordecai is that he led Esther to follow God's plan. See, I talked about how that Esther, when the time came and she chose that she was going to stand up for the Jews, that she turned to God first. But I need to talk really quick about something that happened. And see, actually, Mordecai, when all this happened, the, the decrees were put out by the king that, hey, we're going to kill the Jews. They, like, set a date. I mean, it's got to be the worst, guys, okay? They set a date. They told them, hey, Jews, on this day of this month, you're going to be killed, okay? So, so the Jews began to mourn and weep and Mordecai says he tore his clothes, he wore sackcloth, he began to fast, and then the queen heard. It didn't say Esther was already terrified and worried, because guess what? She was queen in the palace. It wasn't until Mordecai, word got to her that, hey, Mordecai's out there, and he's praying, and he's, he's wearing sackcloth, and, and he's distraught. And she said, well, go find out what's going on. And, and the messengers came back, and they told her what was going on. And they told her that Mordecai said, hey, here, he told her all the detail. He said, here, this is what's going to happen. Esther, it's time for you to step up. And Esther first says, wait a minute. I'm not allowed to go to the king. Wait a minute. I, I, could, I could die. And then Mordecai tells her this. And this is probably the most famous thing that we hear is he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We hear that so much, I think, is that who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That Esther was created for this time. See, Mordecai could have said, oh, just go tell Esther it's no big deal. Oh, just don't, don't let her know she's safe. Because that's what we want to do as mom, dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle. I know y'all grandparents do. Like mom, dad, we, you know, the grandparents, they just be like, go send her a bag of sugar. Okay? <laughs> She'll be happy. But he didn't. Because Mordecai knew something. He knew that no matter what it looked like, remember the roller coaster, he knew no matter what turns and things it looked like, that he had to follow someone's plan that was bigger. And he knew that he had to encourage Esther that that would be her step, would be to follow what God wanted. And so, because Mordecai sent that back and told Esther, it didn't say after that she questioned him five times like my kids would. It says after that, she sent back and said, okay, here it is. And then Mordecai was ready to step in and do that. Mom, Dad, 
you've got to lead them there and then go with them. That's what Mordecai did. He led Esther to know all those things. Esther, I'll, I get from this, you know why she didn't question him? Because she must have known. This wasn't the first time that Mordecai obviously had taught her where she was supposed to go and what she was supposed to do. You don't wait till your kid's 17 years old and tell them to go do the laundry and expect that you aren't going to get some pink socks, right? So when Mordecai sent this back, I have to believe he had already spent years teaching Esther how to follow God. Mom, dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle, friend, today you can't lead your kids to follow God unless you follow first. You can't lead them to follow God unless you already are there out in front being an example. They can follow God without you. They can go without you. But I believe that you're sitting here today because you want to be someone that leads your children to follow God. I want to be Mordecai. If I don't get to be Esther, I want to be Mordecai. In fact, I think I'd rather be Mordecai, right? Because I think in some ways he got to sit back and watch, right? No, I know that was hard to watch what he was asking. Because can you imagine Mordecai telling his daughter, basically, the person that he loved that much that he stepped in and chose to be that dad, hey, this is your time, and it's time for you to step up and make this choice. But he wasn't scared of doing that because he knew the God. He knew what he was asking, and he had already gone down that road. Mom, Dad, today, your kids need to see that. They need to see you be that person. Grandparents, aunt, uncle, whoever that is in your life that you need to show, you've got to show it, and you've got to do it daily, just like Mordecai did. We've got to do it daily. I think... I will tell you, I'm not a great mom. Probably a lot of times I'm not perfect. I know that. I tell my kids that sometimes, oh, I'm just not perfect. My 10-year-old son, I know it will change. I'll, please don't burst my bubble yet. But he always fights with me and tells me that, no, there's no greater mom or person in the entire world. I know that fades. He's 10. Y'all, I'm going to believe that it at least goes to 20 before that changes. But um, he tells me all the time, no, you're the perfect mom. But I know I'm not. But you know what? I hope that every day I get up, and despite the flaws, the times I mess up, all the mistakes, that I know how to lead my children to God. That I'm showing them that I worship to God. Not just here, but that at home, that they see me pray, they see me lift my hands, they see me shout and thank God and give Him glory. That when times come, they're tough. There's so many times I stop my kids and say, hey, let's stop because we just found out that someone had something go on or we're fighting or it's a bad day. And I'm saying, stop, we're going to pray because I want my kids to know when it comes time, I want them to know how to stop and pray first. I want my kids to see me live that out daily, whether it's Bible, whether it's giving. I want them to see me. We, look, we do fun things. We obviously just went to Universal so we could ride these things. But I also want them to see me consistently say, hey, but there's part of this that I give to God. And I want to say that today because I want you all to know that, that that's important to me because I want my kids to see the blessings that are in our life and know where they come from. They come from a commitment to a God that's bigger than us. And I want my kids to see love. I don't want them to see Molly because, man, I love them a whole, whole lot. But they need to see me love other people. People that maybe it's not easy to love. People that would be easy for me to be offended with and angry. But they see enough of that in this world. I want them to see love. And I want them to see that love comes sometimes even when it's not convenient. I want them to see daily love like Mordecai that says, it's not always easy, but I'll step in. I'm going to go down to the gate today, and I'm just going to see what I can hear just so I can be a part 
of this person's life. I want my kids to see that today, and I believe you do. If you will, if you'll stand with me and the worship team can come on, I have one more verse I just want to share with y'all. Because I feel like as we, um, we take these steps, we want to be these parents, we want to be these people, we want to impact, and I think sometimes we say, well, then how? How do I do that? How do I live that daily? How do I get up tomorrow and live that? So I want to read one more scripture in closing here. And it's from someone who was also not a mom or dad, but it was someone that decided that they would be a mentor. And so it's from Paul to Timothy. He writes and he tells him this, he, this is this person that he is leading to learn to know about God. And this is what he says. This is, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I want to guard the deposit that was given to me, both my children and the things that God has given me. And how do I do that? It says it very clearly. It says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. God's already given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's already given us everything we need to be exactly who we are supposed to be in this time, both as Christians and as leaders, moms, dads, grandparents. It's our actions now that we have to decide, I'm going to fan that into flame. I'm going to ask for that. And so today as we close, that's what I would like for us to do, is just ask that God in this time that we are in and living in, that we want to be like Esther, and we want to raise Esther's. Lord, we give him that praise, and so we're going to pray to fan that flame, to fan that inside of us, that we would step up and do those things. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline to make those steps every day.